2 Corinthians 5. So if you have a Bible, if you want to grab one and go to 2 Corinthians 5 is where we will be. We'll get there um, in a little bit. And as you're turning there and getting set, I do want to thank um, Amy Jacqueline. She does so much for our church. She um, helps coordinate and organize and just make stuff happen. And she doesn't get nearly the kind of recognition and, and love and thanks that she uh, deserves. She also provides for us uh, with her gifts and talents of writing. She wrote the Thanksgiving devotional we just had. She's done previous Advent devotionals, and she just does so much to constantly uh, help make Sundays happen, and not only Sundays, but events, programs, community groups, all of those things. So um, I just wanted to say thank you to Amy for all of the work she does in this church. Um, so today we are going to be wrapping up our Advent series. We've been looking at this word that we often skip, pa skip past and skip by because it's a word we don't use very often in our language today. That word is behold. It means to stop, to slow down, to pay attention. I use the phrase demonstrative imperative. It is an interruption, but it is also a command. It is stop what you're doing and see what's coming next. It's important. And when it comes to Christmas, it can be easy for us to get so caught up in the making memories, the throwing parties, the wrapping gifts, getting the right gifts, doing all the things that we forget to slow down and stop and pay attention to the reality that what we are celebrating here is a life-altering reality that God came to earth as a baby. And so what we try to do in this Advent season is to slow down and stop and behold. And we've looked at the promise and the person, and today we're going to look at present. So I'm going to read, we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read and then we will um, talk about it. So if you want to uh, open up, you can follow along with me uh, or you can just listen to God's word and then uh, I'll read part of it. So um, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, starting in verse 16, says, from now on, therefore, we, regra we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this chance, this opportunity to gather, to celebrate you, to rejoice and enjoy you and sing praises about you and open your word and hear from you and do things like this, even in lift our voices in prayer to you and being to community together because of you. And God, today, as all days, we celebrate your faithfulness, your goodness, your kindness, your love, your justice, your mercy, all of which showed up in a little baby crying in a manger. Because as that little baby cried, the world was changed and altered forever. Grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and justice had come into the world fully and completely in the form of Jesus. God, as we wrap up this Advent season and we look, just a few minutes we'll be in a whole new year, a whole blank new year with new opportunities. God, let us not 
lose sight of the joy and the fun and the excitement that comes with Christmas, that comes with remembering that Christ entered the world. As we celebrate these things, as we open your word this morning, God, you have a message for us. You have a reason. We are here. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. You are in charge of all things at all times, which means you have something to tell us this morning. So, God, I pray that we would be able to set aside the distractions, the hindrances, the things that are occupying our heads right now and just be with you and listen and let you speak to us. And so, God, I pray that nothing comes out of my mouth that isn't from you. And as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So as I said, we've been in this series called Behold. And so week one was Behold the Promise. We looked at the dream that Joseph had, the angel coming to him, telling him not to divorce Mary because the child she was carrying was, in fact, the Son of God. The angel quoted the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was a reminder that God made a promise to send one to defeat Satan, to rescue us from sin and hell and death. Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy, of every promise, of every longed-for hope of the Old Testament. He is that one. He is the Messiah. When we were helpless and hopeless, condemned to eternity, separated from God, living a life never fulfilled, never complete, always searching, always lacking, forever in turmoil, God stepped in and made a way where there was no way. God did an amazing, miraculous, huge thing. God kept the biggest promise of them all, to send a Savior to go to the cross for our sins, to defeat sin, death, and hell. He did that for us. He fulfilled that promise. And because he fulfilled the big promise, because he did the big thing, because he did the hard thing, the biggest and hardest thing, that means we can trust him to do everything else. So when we open God's word, when we read his promises, we know he is faithful to carry out those promises. God's plans will never be thwarted. And so we can go into whatever and wherever he wants us to and know he is in control of all things at all times. And God keeps every one of his promises always and forever. Behold the promise of God. And then the second week we looked at behold the person. And we talked about the humanity of Jesus and how important it is that Jesus was a human, that he had to be able to suffer and die so that we might have new life. Jesus came on a mission to be for us a substitute, our sin sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was for us that Lamb of God. He was able to do that because he was at the same time fully and completely God, but also fully and completely man. He lived perfectly. It doesn't mean he wasn't able to sin it didn't, or that he didn't know what it meant to be tempted to sin because he knew what it meant to be tempted very well. But rather, it means that God chose you and me over his own self-gratification. When it would have been easier for him to give in, when it would have felt good to give in, when he could have avoided pain and suffering and even death, he chose to love us so much that he would suffer and die for us that we might have a chance to have new life and be saved. 
the incarnation, God coming to earth, Jesus' arrival is a reminder of his humility that he would leave heaven to come to here, to engage with this broken world so that we might have the opportunity to once again have a right relationship with him. It's a reminder of the everlasting, eternal, unconditional love God has for us. As it says in John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He is the Savior we needed by being the sin offering that was required so that all sin, every sin would be paid for, punished, and dealt with through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Behold the promise of God made and kept. Behold the person, fully God and fully man, come to earth to take away the sins of the world. Which brings us to this morning, behold the present. Behold the present of salvation, which, which affects your present reality. Behold the present, the gift. We all know about gifts. Don't we? I mean, some of us, we still have some wrapping to do. Hopefully, nobody has any more shopping to get done. I know there are some in this room who have had all of that taken care of since, like, Thanksgiving, like, Black Friday, you were done and set. Not all of us are as ambitious as you. But over the next 24, 48 hours, presents will be unwrapped, stories will be shared about the experience and the reason why these gifts were given, joy and laughter and thankfulness, Gifts with no strings attached, no expectation. It's just here. This is a time to celebrate, so here is a gift. And it is kind of interesting that we give gifts at Christmas, right? I mean, if you really think about it, like, birthday gifts make sense. You're celebrating that person. It's their day. Here is a gift to honor you, right? Valentine's Day. Hey, I love you. I want to show that in some way. Here is a gift for you. Most of the time when we give gifts, it's about the relationship between people. But Christmas, why are we giving gifts at Christmas? We give gifts as these little reminders of the gift given to us. We give presents to remind us of the present that was given to us in Christ. God comes into the world. The virgin gives birth, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace has arrived. That is cause for celebration. It is cause to sing. God himself, the creator of all existence, entered into the world. It's amazing, awe-inspiring, head-scratching, overwhelming. It's hard to imagine that that is reality, but it is. So let me ask you this morning, what if that was all it was? What if God comes to earth, the virgin gives birth, the shepherds and angels, they still play their part, the wise men show up later, God, Jesus grows up and lives, he teaches, he heals, he admonishes, he calls people, turn away from your sins, turn away from your self-righteousness, live better, go and sin no more. He does all of those things, right? All, all of the things that we read about in the Gospels, he does all of that. I think we'd still sing. I think we'd still celebrate. I think we'd still remember. But if that was it, if, if Jesus does all of these things and then he just leaves, would Christmas be still so Christmassy? Would it last and linger the way that it has? Would it infiltrate all of culture the way that it has? It always amazes me this time of year, right? The rest of the year, people want to argue and debate 
and heckle Christians and Christianity and evangelicals. And, you know, you get close to Easter and all the, the shows thumb up and it's like, did the resurrection really happen? Was Jesus a real person? Is the Bible historically accurate? And everybody wants to argue and debate. But Christmas time, for the last month plus, you can walk into any store and you will hear gospel-saturated music. People have had Christmas songs on in their cars and their homes constantly for weeks upon weeks. And whether they know it or not, they have, heard, they have had the gospel ringing out of their speakers. Now, I'm not talking about your Santas and your Rudolphs and your Frosties. But like stuff like Hark the Herald, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Silent Night, these songs are theologically rich. We did that a couple, of, a couple of Christmases ago. We looked at a bunch of these songs as part of our sermon series. And there is deep theology built into these songs, and everybody knows them. Regardless of whether or not they identify as a Christian, everybody knows these songs. And everybody's just cool with them. Everybody hears them, everybody can sing them, and it's just this accepted part of culture. It's amazing. And why did that happen? Would that be the case if Christmas was just about Jesus showing up and living, and he teaches, and he does miracles, and then he just leaves? don't think that it would. I think the gift, the present of Christmas is more than the presence of Jesus. Because if he just shows up and leaves, no matter how much good stuff he taught, no matter how many miracles he did, if he just shows up and then leaves, we're still on the hook. We're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We are still subject to the requirements of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. If you sin, if you rebel against God, death. If all we had was the presence, we're actually lacking. The big, beautiful gift is empty. Because we're still condemned to hell. We're still condemned to the consequences and the reality of our sin. Christmas is good and awesome and fun. And man, if you got little kids, it like intensifies. It's wonderful. The incarnation, the reality that God came into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, all of it, it is good and it is a reason to sing and celebrate and have fun. But it is those things. It is fun and loud and bright and, and colorful because it leads to the cross. Because it leads to the death of Jesus, because it leads to the resurrection of Jesus, and thus our salvation. The humanity of Christ allows for him to be the perfect sacrifice. His being our sin substitute. The reality that because of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of his death and resurrection, we have new life. That is what gives Christmas its lasting, amazing, exciting joy. I read a passage from 2 Corinthians 5, you know, a very traditional Christmas passage. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes about how for the Christian, for the follower of Christ, this world is not our home. He calls, uh, earlier in the chapter, he calls our bodies tents that groan and how we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. That there is a better clothing, a better uh, appearance, a better covering waiting for us in the presence of God in eternity. But for now, we wait. We endure our season of Advent, our waiting, our longing for the day where pain and suffering, broken tent poles and rips in the canvas are no longer part of the, part of the conversation. 
He says in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 5, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And then he goes on and says that one day we will be with him. And so until then, we are to be of good courage and live to please him, live longing, live knowing that one day we will be with him. So in the meantime, we don't just wait patiently, we don't just wait passively, we wait actively, living in response to the grace and love and mercy and goodness of God in a way that pleases him. One of the ways that happens, Paul says, is to be reconciling, to be the kind of people who see something broken and put it back together. To seek wholeness, to seek peace, to seek shalom. And we are to do this, to be these reconcilers, these agents of peace and shalom, because God first reconciled us to himself. He took what was broken by sin, our relationship with him, and he made it right. He put it back together. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does it mean to be in Christ? Simply put, it means to be a Christian. It means anyone who has put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. You have been grafted into the family of God. You are a new creation, Paul says. Not refurbished, not repainted, not slightly used, new. Something totally different, fresh out of the wrapper, brand new. Does it mean that we are perfect here and now? No. It means God is creating in us a new heart, a new mind, something different, something unlike what we were. Christ is doing a work to change how we interact with the world around us and with him. In Christ, you have been made new. Behold the present. Behold the gift of salvation. Behold the gift of new life. Behold the reality that God came to earth to make a way for you and for me so that we can stand justified, forgiven, redeemed, covered in the grace and mercy of Jesus' death and resurrection on that day when we stand before our maker. Because one day we will all face a final judgment when God decides our eternity and we will stand before him and deliver the evidence. And lucky for us, we don't have to stand there and say, look how good I did. Look how nice I was. Look how kind I was. Look how selfless I was. How sacrificial I was. Look at my church attendance. Look how much my good outweighed my bad. I did pretty well. Because you could put all of that up as your evidence. And it would definitely, 100%, bring back a verdict guilty deserving eternity in hell. Because the expectation, the demand, is perfection. And that ain't you. And that ain't me. But rather, what is being offered through the arrival of Christ is the present, is the gift of right standing with God, of perfect standing with God. Not because you and I are perfect, but because Christ is. And it is in his death and resurrection he imparts to us perfect righteousness. You see it in verse 21 there. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. I call it the most lopsided gift swap in history. Jesus takes on our sin. Jesus takes on our death. Jesus takes on our pain, our punishment, what we deserve, and he gives to us his perfect righteousness. Behold the gift. 
present that is being offered to you this morning. For anyone who would admit their need for a Savior and admit your sin, admit that you can't do this on your own, admit you need help, and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on a cross for your sins in your place and choose for his death and resurrection to matter to you, not just intellectually, but experientially. Choose to believe, choose to put your faith, hope, and future in trusting that God is for you. Trusting that God is good. Trusting that God has made a way where there was no way. Choose for Christ to be your Savior and King. But when you do that, understand that a king is a king. Meaning a king has no checks and balances. He has no one to answer to, including you. If you want Christ to be your Savior and King, it means you give up authority in your life. You are giving up the power in your life, the control of your life. Something different is at work. It is happening in and through you, his goodness leading, guiding, and shaping you. Again, if you go back to verse 17, the old has passed away. Behold, slow down, stop and pay attention. Hear this, see this, because the new has come. What was your way of doing things? That's done. The new has come. And that new creation, that new identity is one subject to the king of kings, the good and perfect and right king. And what we've talked about already the last couple weeks, we know he is faithful. We know he is good. We know he keeps his promises. So we know that we can be subject to the king and the good king will take care of us. He will lead you, provide for you, provide rest and comfort and protection and safety. This is the gift being offered. Behold the gift. Behold the present of salvation. That is a great gift. That is the greatest of gifts. It's the big one. It's that one you save for the very end. It's the big crescendo gift. And in the midst of the fun and excitement and paper and ribbon and tinsel, we can't lose sight of the immediacy of this gift. Because we've got to behold the present, the now. Because the gift of salvation, this present of salvation, is not just for later. You know when you give somebody a gift and they can't use it right away, right? You give them a gift and it's a concert ticket, it's some kind of experience down the road, or it's just a gift that they can't use in the middle of winter in Chicago. Right? The reality is that that gift that you give them, it's theirs. It is their reality right now, but at the same time, they still got to wait. They can't quite use it yet. They can't put it into effect. They can't fully experience it. It's this dual situation, right? They have it, it's theirs, but they can't fully take advantage of it yet. And that's sometimes, I think, how we view our salvation. You get saved, you've been And you know you've been saved from the wrath of God towards sin. You know that one day you will stand before God and you will say, look, it's not me, it's not my righteousness, it's Jesus. He said I can come, so I'm here. And you'll spend eternity with God and eternity upon eternity, and you'll spend it in the presence of God, amen and amen. But the gospel's not just for later, it's for now. The gift of salvation is not just for later, it's for now. The present of salvation is also for your present. Behold the present gift of salvation. Behold your present reality. If you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then your present standing is not rebel and enemy against God. It is not in conflict with him. 
your place right now, your presence is as a son or daughter, a child of God whom he loves unconditionally and he loves to the nth degree. We can't quantify how much love he has for us. Your present status with God is loved and redeemed and forgiven and cared for and protected. That's who you are. I think that so much of our conflict, so much of the ups and downs of our lives as Christians comes down to us forgetting our present reality. We forget who we are in Christ. We forget who you have been made to be. And we allow for our sin, our guilt, our shame, our fear, our worry, our doubts to trap us and to hinder us and to chain us up from actually living into the new life that was purchased for us by the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying there in verses 18 and 19. All of this, this new identity, the new has come, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He took what was broken by sin, and he fixed it. He reconciled us, taking what is broken and fixing it. And he doesn't hold the cracks against us. He doesn't hold a grudge for the fact that we broke things in the first place. If you are in Christ, You are a new creation in him. Your sins are not your identity. You are not the sins you have committed, and you are not the sins that have been committed against you. It's not who you are in Christ. Those things are not counted against you. You do not have to carry the shame and the guilt of your sin with you. If you have put your faith in Jesus, your sins are paid for. It's done and over. You were not built to carry that shame. You were not built to carry that guilt. Let them go. Unshackle your Jacob Marley-esque chains and come into the reality that you have a new life to live now. Christ came to earth to die for you, to raise you up, to give you hope and a newness of life. Jesus did many wonderful, awesome things. He taught and he healed and he fed and he cared. He demonstrated what love is. He demonstrated for us how to live fully. But make no mistake, Jesus enters the world, lives in this world, so that he could die in this world. To give us life, new life, as a new creation, and it starts now. Yes, one day we will spend eternity with Christ, amen to that, and that's a glorious reality for those who have put their faith in Jesus. But this present that has been given to you is for the present. Yes, it's for later as now, but it's or later as well, but it's for now. Coming back to verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look intently and consider. Pay attention to the fact that the new has come. It's not on its way. It's not getting here later. It's not stuck somewhere in a post office. The new has come. It has arrived. You are already a new creation. Behold, your present is that you have been made new and can live into that reality now. It's why Jesus can tell the formerly paralyzed man in John 5 or the woman caught in adultery in John 8, he tells them, go and sin no more. Go and live 
Go live into the reality that you are forgiven. Go live into the reality that I have done something in you. Go live into the reality that you have a new life to live, and it starts now. Go live into the reality that you have a new identity as a son or daughter, a child of God. But we forget, and we lose sight, and we get overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world, and we get swallowed up by by it. We forget that through our salvation, we are children of God, justified and redeemed, co-heirs with Christ, righteous, loved, forgiven. These are truths from Scripture that when you accept the gift of salvation, these things become true of you immediately, and you do not lose them. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God is for us a refuge and an advocate. You can set your feet on the solid ground of who God is and who he has made you to be and is continuing to make you to be. The more and more we grow in the understanding of who God is and who he has made us to be, I think the more and more empowered we will be to live into those realities. And how sweet it is when we are living our lives and living into the reality of who God has made us to be. Living into the fullness of life, the full, complete, overwhelming, excessive life that God promises us in John 10.10. We get presents at Christmas to celebrate. It's a little reminder, it's a little glimpse that we have been given the greatest present. The gift of salvation. And it matters for us here today. It changes things here, today, and now. God made a way where there was no way. The present of salvation is your present reality. Your life, your present has been changed by the arrival of a little baby in the middle of nowhere. Because in him was the light of life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The present of salvation affects your present reality. If you would put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Accept the gift the present being offered to you and allow for God to create in you a new heart and a new present reality. I got one last behold for us as we wrap this series. Which behold means to stop, to slow down and pay attention. And as we get ready to leave here and go off to parties and, and family and dinners and all of those things, I want you to just stop and slow down and pay attention and hear what the angels said to those shepherds the night Jesus was born. The angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That is what Christ has come to do. Bring good news of great joy for everyone. A way has been made. An opportunity has been made available. A present has been given that changes your very present existence. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth and in us, may there be peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this gift of gathering, that you are the God of community. You have eternally forever been in community within yourself, and you call us to community to get to worship together, to get to live and connect and grow and do this life together. God, it is a blessing. And while we don't always do it perfectly, we do it because it's a gift, and we do it together, and we need each other. We are made to have a very tall tour, but we are not made to do this life on our own. God, I pray that you would continue to strengthen and build the community within your church, that we might shine brightly as the lights that you have made us to be, that others might come to know the goodness and grace and mercy and love that you have, that you are. God, as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate and remember what you have done, what you did in sending your son, we do so. And it's, we do so knowing that it's easy for us to get distracted and it takes intentionality for us to focus and, and really dwell in the reality of who we are. God, I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of our identity in you. You would give us a renewed hope and a renewed joy and excitement of being your child. That we might shine brightly as the lights you have made us to be. That others might come to know how good you are. That we would daily rediscover the gospel. Re-remind ourselves of our need for a savior. And that when things were ugly, when sin entered the world, when everything got turned upside down, you made a way and a promise and you kept that promise. And that again, when it was ugly and messy and Jesus hung on that cross in doing so, there was a way being made. There was new life being given. God, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, for who you are, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. God, as we celebrate this Christmas, we do so humbly and with great thanks for sending your son to die for us. We thank you and praise you. Amen.